New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Total Soccer Show and our latest foray into the listener questions mailbag. Today, we're looking at the soccer rules that are largely ignored. We're going Dutch on the Eredivisie title race and we're building our USMNT starting 11s with the fate of humanity on the line. No pressure there at all. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who can build bridges and walkways in his backyard, but can he build the ultimate USMNT team? Taylor Rockwell, what you got? Well, don't, don't give me your answer right now. Just say hello. Hello, and no, I probably cannot. I found this to be an existential uh, frightening question because, number one, I don't want aliens to take over the world. But number two, uh, the issues that were there during the World Cup still there. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting question to answer. I look forward to that one. Spoiler alert, listener, the question also involves aliens. There's that fun angle to it, too. We shall get to that very shortly, but not before we've introduced a man who loves it when a game's called off an hour and a half before kickoff, (laughs) when he has travelled to said game and is looking forward to seeing his team play in said game. Graham Rutherford, vent it out, man. Uh, I mean, hello, Ryan Bailey. Yes, I do feel like I need somewhere to vent. The The additional context there is that Dumbarton asked fans to get there early because they were expecting a big crowd and then called the game off with 90 minutes before without any hint of a pitch inspection as if they just turned up and found out that it had been cold during the day. I actually, it's been reported that the, the groundsman actually genuinely did not show up. So goodness knows where he was, just didn't do his job. Wow. Um, who? No, we don't love that. So, Graham, I'm I'm sorry. Did you have to like go s- and spend time with your family instead? No, I watched the Champions League in another oh, good. room. Good, good, excellent. I was glad. I'm glad it didn't come to that. So, uh, at least you uh, didn't waste your evening at all, Graham. There's that. Well, I watched Chelsea, so you know. <laughs> well, okay. More on that when we do our Champions League review coming on the feed very soon, listener. But before we get to that, we're rounding out the pack with a man who's got as much beef with Austin FC's starting lineup graphics on social media as their performances, I assume, Joe Larry. Uh, it's pretty close, Ryan. It's pretty close. I thought the lineup graphic would be worse than the performance heading into that game against Violette last night. And yeah. I was I was mostly wrong about that, but the graphic, it's uh, I, I'm not trying to knock the person who made it, but it's it's like in number wow. order and it's in like two different columns, as far as I can recall, maybe three different columns. And it's like it's not a formation. You're not giving us really any information. You're making the, the fans do all the work, which I never love when it comes to lineup graphics. I didn't watch that game live, but I I, I did see your tweets during that game, Joe. Did do we have any story <laughs> behind the giant tree at, at that at that game? So it seems from the people in my mentions, and I'm grateful for them, it seems that the tree was there before they built the stadium in the Dominican Republic. So they essentially built it around this giant old tree, which I absolutely love. Between that, a dog running onto the field in the Philadelphia Unions game, 
uh, Orlando somehow drawing Tigres and Pedro Gallese pulling out a, a monster performance. And then I referenced it, Austin completely like just wetting the bed in their performance. It was a fantastic evening of CCL action. It <laughs> sounds like I had all the ingredients of a classic there, Joe. You've reminded me that I'm going to make my one and only cricket reference on Total Soccer Show. Oh, uh, no. K- uh, Kent County Cricket Ground. Uh, cricket's like a big uh, oval or circle and there's a boundary around the edge. And if you hit the ball over the boundary, you get extra points. And at Kent, there is a giant tree inside that circle. So basically, if you hit that tree, no points for you. So uh, (laughs) it's a very interesting... uh, Well, it's it's cricket, so it's not interesting at all, actually. I withdraw (laughs) that statement entirely. Uh, Before we get to the listener questions, uh, I noticed uh, when I was browsing my favourite woolly liberal uh, sports website, The Guardian, this morning, a headline, Can MLS Grow Its Fan Base by Doing a Wrexham? Graham Rothman throwing meat to the Lions with his latest article on The Guardian. <laughs> yeah, and maybe uh, people, other people should subscribe to the TSS Plus Patreon for Guardian article ideas. Mm, yeah, uh, I did listen to that podcast that you did a couple of weeks ago, and they decided to elaborate, uh, elaborate <laughs> on it a little bit more. So there you go. Thanks for that one. Your commission is in the mail. Wow, I didn't even think about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> Wait, well, what, enjoyed- was the, what was the premise of the article, Graham? Like, should we all like so have based- Ryan Reynolds as our best friend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if uh, if an MLS <laughs> club can get Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney to do to buy a club and then do a documentary about it, I'm sure that would also be very successful. But yeah, essentially, there seems to be a lot of sports documentaries on Netflix right now. I watched the tennis one; it wasn't very good, really. I thought the golf one was pretty good. So I guess with Apple TV being the new partner, I was wondering if uh, MLS could do something similar. They should get Bill Lawrence to make it and put Jason Siegel in it. That's what I think, Graham. That would make. Uh, Isn't that what he does with every show? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brett Goldstein in there as well. We'll just make it a, a, a fantastic A plus Apple show. What do you think? Yeah, why not? Let's do it. I mean, you're used to taking ideas from me, apparently. So take this one. <laughs> okay, Ryan Bailey. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you want to check out our bonus content, our videos, our extra podcasts. Uh, we would love it if you join us there. We're having a great time. There's a Discord as well. It's awesome. But let's get to our listener questions. And by the way, if you want to submit one of those, TotalSoccerShow.com slash questions. We love it when you send them in. Please keep them coming. Like this one from Zane DeVault which is an awesome handle. I love that. How is the new European Super League proposal different from the establishment of the Premier League? And how is it the same? So, Taylor, this is an interesting one because not a lot of people appreciate the fact that the Premier League is also a breakaway league, uh, which started because Rupert Murdoch wanted to put soccer on the television. Mm-hmm. That would be that would be a main difference for me. Uh, I also didn't notice that this was happening again. I missed in, uh, in February that they had come up with a new proposal, which seems a little bit pie in the sky. Uh, but planning, I guess, has been ongoing since last we talked about the Super League. Uh, there was a new presentation in February. Some of the changes that they listed uh, would be that instead of the 12 richest clubs in the world, it would be 60 to 80 chosen on sporting merit. Uh, with multiple divisions, so we would have promotion relegation within these competitions. Uh, promises of support for the women's game, infrastructure spending, solidarity payments, uh, and it would be owned by the member clubs, so controlled by them, which means, I think, more autonomy. All that 
is very similar to the starting of the Premier League. They wanted to have more say over uh, basically the money coming in and how that money was spent and not having to so much share it with lower divisions. Uh, this new Super League would have solidarity payments, as I said, but I think they would probably be somewhat minuscule, even if the promises are quite grandiose to begin with. Uh, but the biggest difference that I saw was simply, as you said, Ryan, that like there isn't a built-in TV deal that has this guarantee of income right away. Certainly, you will be able to make money if you have a European Super League with the biggest clubs in the world. Feels like it will end up supplanting the Champions League. Uh, but I think that would be a, a big one, that it's sort of motivated more so by the individual clubs uh, and their desire to make money and stay financially competitive with the Premier League, whereas the Premier League itself already exists and is already doing quite well. For sure. I think, Graham, for me, the key difference is, certainly from a sporting perspective, is that the Premier League, when it broke away, didn't change the principal product on the field, or it didn't change the integrity of the system. Whereas certainly the initial European Super League breakaway was proposing a shake-up to completely change the very fabric of the game, which the Premier League did it from a commercial perspective, but not from a sporting perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So the original... Super League proposal was completely different. As you say, Ryan, um, the Premier League was still part of the English football pyramid. I believe the Premier League originally was actually the FA Premier League. So there was that cooperation with the the National uh, Football Association, obviously, in in England. And of course, the Super League went very much against the grain, against the wishes of of UEFA and the national associations and all the domestic leagues. So there wasn't that cooperation. It wasn't part of a pyramid. It was going to be a a closed shop. Um, They tried to argue that there would be some form of qualification into it. But essentially, you had 12 clubs 12 of the biggest clubs in the world that would always be involved in that competition. The, the new proposal says it's committed to, quote, open competition. Um, so I guess that's the biggest change with the, with the new proposal. Um, it's going to, or it would apparently involve 60 to 80 clubs qualifying from their domestic leagues, um, which they, they would still play in. So it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be replacing those domestic leagues. And then you'd have divisions between the, those 60 and 80 teams. So, it does sound a lot like the like the Champions League. Um, and in my opinion, if this had been the original proposal, this probably would have got through. There wouldn't have been as much opposition to this because while it's still a power grab by the biggest clubs, there's not enough of a difference in terms of the product on, product on the pitch for fans or most fans to really care. I don't think you would have seen protests in the street about this one. So obviously we are lacking a lot of detail about how exactly the new format would work. But but speaking generally, as I say, this this probably would have got through. It probably would have garnered some support. Um, I actually think in terms of this format, I prefer this model to the Swiss-style model the Champions League is moving to in the near future, which is so complicated. I would explain it, but to be honest, I still can't fully get my head around it. It's going to be in a, the first stage is going to be like a one big league table, but teams aren't going to play every other team in that league table. So that's going to be confusing. And then they move into a knockout stage from there. I think just having a straight league like the the new Super League is proposing is more appealing to me. And that doesn't necessarily say, it doesn't necessarily mean I support a breakaway league. And at this moment in time, there's only three teams signed up to this new proposal. So Hmm. that's certainly a, a hurdle for them. But that is maybe the biggest difference between the original proposal, which was dreadful in every way from the concept of it to the way that it was sold to the PR around it to this new proposal uh three teams have signed up you say are they Real Barca and Juventus by any chance correct 
hey, why, why did I think that would be the case? There I think you. also uh, with, with Graham like pointing out that we had the initial proposal and now we have this proposal, that, to my mind, uh, is very similar to the Premier League as well, that we started getting conversations about should there be a breakaway league? How could we make that happen uh, amongst certain Premier League clubs? Like I think in the early mid-80s, and obviously the Premier League doesn't start until 92. So there are different conversations, different plans at various points, and then it finally comes to fruition once you have that TV backing. And I think there's some similarity here where I think we're going to keep getting these different proposals that will gauge interests, that will gauge how do people feel about it. Oh, there's this huge reaction. I think that wasn't always the plan, certainly. But I think after there was such a strong reaction to the initial terrible plan that it seems like they're going to kind of keep workshopping it, uh, keep discussing it, not just to kind of figure it out as they go, but also to keep it in people's minds to remind people that the Super League will eventually exist if these clubs get their way, which it does feel like they eventually will. That said, one other key point would be the European Court of Justice. Uh, I think right now, uh, there is going to be a case as to whether or not UEFA can refuse to sanction new competitions. So if the Court of Justice says they can, then that throws a wrench into the plans for the Super League because UEFA probably wants control of this or some control of this, doesn't just want it to be the individual clubs. So we'll also get that sort of back and forth tug of war between all the different entities and factions and organizations that want to be a part of this or don't want to be a part of this because they don't want it to happen. Well, if there's protracted legal battles, Taylor, we get to choose and support lawyers as well. And I, you know, get season two. The Man to City watch. model. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll make banners for lawyers just like Man City have uh, laid the groundwork for. Excellent stuff. Uh, Joe, any more uh, insight to uh, add to this one on the similarities and differences between the European Super League and the Premier League's uh, birth? Uh, are we European Super League stands now? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll hit the second one. I think Graham and, and Taylor and you have covered the first one well. I, I just think this is such a bad idea. Like, it's a great idea if you're the clubs from a consumption standpoint of someone who wants to actually watch the best players in the world play and not sit on the sidelines injured because they played 87 games in a season. I, I don't like this at all. The format is, it's not identical to the Champions League what's being proposed, but essentially it accomplishes the same thing as the Champions League, the Europa League, the Europa Conference League. It's, it's fine if we're going to rebrand and repackage that as a consumer. I don't really have a lot of reason to care about you know who's presenting it to me one way or the other. Graham, I think you, you hit on that earlier. But, I mean, as, as someone who realizes UEFA is still going to want their cash, like they still want the Champions League and other continental club competitions to be played, that's not going to go away just because something new is, is launched. I think we are, and I've talked about this before, I think we're headed into pretty dangerous territory when it comes with fixture congestion. And this would be a, a large and I think wrong and hurtful step forward in that direction. All right. It would indeed. I'm just picturing Joe in, in 30 years time. We're all sitting here around our laptops talking about the breakaway uh, CCL, the uh, the, the uh, <laughs> World Series Super League or whatever it's going to be called. could call it the League's Cup. Yeah, right. Oh, that <laughs> Ooh, good. Good. Yeah. I like yeah. it. Just, I just came up with that. You've good, got a Graham. future in marketing, Graham. Well done. Yeah, no. Very good. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the rules in the game that are so often ignored. Back shortly. New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? 
I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Dylan B has been in touch and says, I just watched Emmy Martinez catch the ball and hold it for approximately 22 seconds, which is a trend. Isn't I, hope the that, rules... I hope that's all he did with the ball, to be honest. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, isn't the rule six seconds, says Dylan. Is this uh, determinate to the game? What other rules are largely ignored and which ones should be cracked down on? Um, I think... For me, Joe, if you're going to ask me this question, which rules are most largely ignored? It's throw-ins. It's foul throw-ins. Yes, that's the answer. It's not just the the technique, i.e. two feet on the floor behind the line, ball goes behind the head and is launched from over the head, but also the position of the throw and where it's taken. Because so often, where the ball goes out is where the player starts his run-up to take the throw-on. Yeah, yeah. Which means he gains five yards or something. So that that one is a bugbear for me. Yes, hands down, that is the rule in soccer that is ignored the most often. It happens dozens of times every single game, and no one ever really seems to do anything about it, to the point where when you do see a referee blow their whistle to, to you know force them back and motion the player back, it, it honestly is shocking because that just happens so infrequently. Uh, to, to touch on the Emmy Martinez thing, yeah, it is a rule that goalkeepers are so, supposed to only have the ball for six seconds when it's it's passed, or, or you know, when they when they have it in their hands. And that tends to be ignored most of the time as well. I honestly would prefer referees to crack down on that over the throw-in stuff. Like, I, I don't know. I don't feel like as I'm watching a game, even though I know it's against the rules, I don't feel like it actively, you know, ruins or worsens my viewing experience. I don't feel like it, it really slows down the game all that much. Usually players are pretty keen to hike their way as far up the field as they can on the sidelines. So I feel like things tend to move fairly quickly. And, you know, if they if they're feet are over the line or if Weston McKenney's doing his one-hand launch throw over his head that Taylor talks about <laughs> all the time like I, 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 I it's fun like throw the ball further if you can throw the ball further it's more entertaining like chuck that sucker as far as you can and get as high up the field as you can I don't really have a, a big problem with any of the rules in soccer that I think are ignored because we've come to watch the game this way which means that it's it's mostly fine but the uh, the goalkeeper one I think is a little bit stranger than the throw-in one so Joe yeah. wants anarchy that's what I've heard yeah 
Yes, I do. I, I, Just like, I the system's broken and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Break it more. I don't care about foul throw-ins until it's three o'clock on a Saturday and an opposition player does it and then yeah, the referee yeah. gets both barrels for that. And and honestly, <laughs> foul throws are the, are the most, it's the most common uh, infraction that doesn't yeah. get clamped down on. I swear as much as like a third of all throw-ins are, 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 uh, are foul throw-ins. Not just your your big Wes McKenney ones, just general run-of-the-mill throw-ins. Uh, loads of them are foul throw-ins. Yeah, it's, I, it's like they the don't train them. The location one, Ryan, I'm with you. And I hear what you're saying, Joe, but I think like if the ball goes out of bounds like near the corner flag and the, the defending team is taking that throw in, like I saw, I think it was Leipzig this weekend, the ball goes out like maybe 10 yards away from the corner flag. The player gets the ball, they come back, and they're now like 18 yards away from the corner flag. Sure. Then they walk up another 15 yards while they're waiting to throw it. And they are now like 25, 30 yards up the pitch. And there's something to be said for if you're trying to lock a team in and sort of put them under pressure immediately, letting them walk all the way up does sort for of sure. alleviate that. And then my favorite moment of this was that the the center official, the, the coach starts to lose his mind. I think Terzic was trying to stop this from happening. And the official walks over and says, like, hey, you got to go back. And this guy who's walked up 25 <laughs> yards now, <laughs> takes one small step to the right. He's like, yeah, yeah, play. It's like, oh, okay, cool. So it's ceremonial is what we're doing here. We really don't care about that one. So maybe it's worth letting it go. Uh, but if it does mean that we're going to have to slow down and have that player walk all the way back and take that throw, maybe that does slow down the rhythm a little bit. Um, but I have, yeah, a lot of throw-ins. And then a lot of rules that exist about surrounding the official and touching the official that seem to be... Very much hit or miss, especially if you're Bruno. Uh, you don't always maybe come under fire for uh, touching the official or getting in their face. And I think that's still a thing that I would like to see less of just because it does, in my mind, influence the decision-making process. It influences the way the game plays out. Definitely. Um, by the way, I because I'm old, I can remember when the six-second rule came in. I believe it was, I'm going to say like 97. It was late 90s. And it was literally on the news in England when a player got uh, penalised for it. I can remember who it was. It was a Sunderland goalkeeper. He was French. Uh, I think it was Lionel Perez. I looked up his name. And um, it, it was a pre-season game. And the, the crowd were counting like one, two, three, because the rule had just come in. And they, an were they doing it like the count from Sesame Street? Yeah, they all did a little laugh at the end. Um, And yeah, indirect free kick given. And I think that was maybe the first and last time it happened because I don't recall it happening pretty much uh, thereafter. Um, Mm, The 90s. uh, Oh, yeah. On that note, Ryan, the other one that I feel like doesn't happen as much when it comes to goalkeepers, uh, was it Brad Guzan who I think got this one of the dropping the ball while they're outside of the 18 to, to kick long. That's one that I think I think there's a lot of leeway given there because I think as long as it's left your hand as you're going to kick it, when you are around the edge of the box, I think they let that go. But there have been a few, like when they're punting long, they'll run out to the top of the box, they'll hold it for a second, they'll let everybody get set. And then as they go to kick it, I swear if you watch in freeze frame, they are a good, the goalkeeper is like oftentimes a yard or two outside of the box before they actually release the ball to kick it, which is technically a handball. And I think Guzan got caught with that once. And it was uh, much consternation because that never gets called. That's never really a thing that people pay attention to. But there are, I think goalkeepers, because of the position they play and what they have to do, I think they do get a lot of benefit of the doubt when it comes to how long they're holding the ball, uh, where they release the ball. With those 50-50s in the box, the goalkeeper tends to get preferential treatment. Um, And I think it's also goalies being creative that leads to that because it is the six-second rule, but as we've seen many times when a goalkeeper 
uh, gets an easy shot and then falls over uh, for no apparent reason. The six, six seconds doesn't start until they get back up and they're all set, right? So like, even if they do get rid of the ball in six seconds, they've probably been holding it for a solid minute while they slowly get back up and collect themselves. So uh, a bit of creativity from goalkeepers across the board. I've got a solution, Taylor, for the Gazan issue. In my old house, we had an invisible fence for dogs. Well, they were a collar. And if it, if it went shock over colors. the line, it got a yeah. shock. So we put that technology in the gloves and we put it around the 18-yard box. Situation solved. Yeah, I don't see what could go wrong there. That sounds great. I'm sure I'm no lawyers will get involved. I'm a genius. Um, one other thing, Graham, I was going to mention here, something we saw in the Champions League this very week, penalty encroachment and keepers coming off the line. We didn't necessarily see that, but I think VAR has kind of helped with that a little bit, but so often players in the box when a penalty is being taken. So VAR has definitely helped with goalkeepers um, not staying on, on, on their line. Um, we see now goalkeepers starting behind the line and then kind of like springing themselves forward so that they can stay behind the line when they're making the save. And en- en- Encroachment, I know last night it was enforced in the, in the Chelsea Dortmund game in the Champions League, but it still feels like that isn't always en- enforced. And my issue last night, and Luke will cover this on the Champions League review, Tomorrow, my issue last n- night was that the Chelsea players, their Chelsea players, seemed to be ahead of the Dortmund players, and so if if it hadn't been a Dortmund player that had cleaned that, it cleared it, excuse me, after Havertz had missed it, then play would have been allowed to continue. I think it feels like a strange rule. It's enforced in different ways. Sometimes it's not enforced at all. So yes, I agree. That one is often uh, let go. And then the other one I had was players at corner kicks not putting the ball on the what do you call that quadrant? Is that what you call that? The little kind of quarter circle? Sure. Um, sometimes you see it enforced, like when a Jobsworth lines, linesman gets involved and tells them to roll it back a little bit, but generally speaking, not really. No, that extra centimetre advantage is so important for uh, corner takers, Graham. Indeed. Uh, Dylan, thank you very much for that question. Robert Cordova has a question. Also, which team does the Total Soccer Show gang think will win the Dutch Eredivisie? After 24 games in Holland, Feyenoord are top on 55 points. Undefeated in league play since September, that's quite impressive. Ajax are in second with 52, RZ Alkmaar on 50, and PSV all the way back there in fourth, but all within reach of the title. Uh, Taylor, it feels like it's uh, finals to lose, which is my analysis saying they're in first place. Yes, and I, I will say then up front that we watch the Dutch League, we care about the Dutch League. I would not claim to be an expert who watches every single game day in and day out, so... I struggle to know the the depth and talent of, say, AZ. Though they are in third place, I am less f- familiar with them than the other three teams that uh, we got a question about or that are in contention for the title. And my inclination is to say it will be IX just because they're IX and they're quite good. Um, with that said, looking at Feyenoord's schedule for a moment, they're still alive in the Europa League. Uh, they're playing Shakhtar in the knockout rounds. Uh, remaining tough games would be at Ajax in the league, then uh, home to Ajax in the KNVB Cup. I had Ajax as being the most likely title uh, challenger of these four, not just because they're in second, but because they're Ajax. Uh, but they have two games versus Feyenoord, like I mentioned. They're at PSV, they're home to AZ, and then they have uh, FC Twente on the final day. That does feel like a much trickier run-in. Uh, so I think when it comes to strength of schedule, I think Feyenoord have the easier one and should have the advantage. I still just lean Ajax because I think they have the same defensive record, more or less. I think Ajax have conceded one more goal than Feyenoord. 
but have scored 12 more. So they have the attacking play. And when you look at their team, there is just more depth. They have more talent from top to bottom. Not taking a shot at Feyenoord. And and maybe I am like incorrect in that because maybe there are plenty of young Feyenoord players that I'm just less familiar with. But to my mind, from what I know of both teams, I just feel like Ajax can weather the inevitable couple injuries that they will pick up over the final couple months. Uh, Feyenoord, I think, might have a harder time with that. Okay. Final, do have a, a famous partnership with uh, USL team Orange County SC, though, Taylor. That's got to help them in this run-in, you'd think, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, t- uh, Joe, what do you think about this one? Ajax, uh, you, you're an, are you still an Ajax fanboy? How do we feel yeah, about I mean, I Deep down, deep down, Ryan, that's one of those things you can never get rid of fully, uh, even though I, I did sort of try with how poor they were at, at moments to start this year. Managerial change happened at the end of January, I believe, so Alfred Schroeder is is out. He was sacked at the end of January. Since that's happened, Ajax have not lost a league game. Since it's happened, I actually don't think they've they've even drawn a league game either. So they've been in incredible form as well. Uh, and, and basically my answer to this question is whoever wins the one league game between Ajax and Feyenoord. So Taylor mentioned uh, two games between them. One of those is in the cup, so it doesn't really relate a, a ton here. But the other one is in the league in the Eredivisie. That's on Sunday, March 19th. 538 has Feyenoord as the most likely team to win right now. Ryan, I think, doing some of the analysis that you did to lead us into this question. <laughs> they have the points advantage, and they, they have a game that they can play against the team that's closest to them. So that, that can be a help for them to put in an even larger gap. But really, whoever wins that game on the 19th, I think, is going to be in the driver's seat here. If it's a draw, obviously, that favors Feyenoord as well. I... I also like Taylor Lean Ajax just because I think there's more talent in this team. It seemed like a lot of managerial issues were a big part of their struggles relative to their their own standard. Earlier on this season, it it seems like they have sort of regressed, and, and by that I mean like not gotten worse, but regressed to where the numbers said they should be, which was better than they were performing before. So it feels like, you know, you can call it new manager bounds, you can call it whatever you want, but really they are they were probably better than the results were showing earlier in the season. Now they're getting the results that they were due. And I think a lot of this is going to come down to that game in a couple of weeks' time, or really not even two weeks, less than two weeks from now. Mm. And I think Ajax will have the edge there. Yes, uh, we should definitely cover that the weekend after next on our weekend review, Joseph. Graham, your thoughts on this one? Any love for Feyenoord here? So I predict that Georgi Mihalovic is going to fire Azed Alkmaar to the title ahead of Feyenoord and PSV and Ajax and all those guys. Uh, I'm not even sure if Georgi is making much of an impression right now. He started off well for, for, for Alkmaar, but um, out of these teams... I would I would side with Ajax. A large part of that is just down to the fact that I know more about Ajax. I am quite confident in saying they've got more talent than the other teams. You know, Tadic has been prolific this season. Berghaus has settled in well as as one of their big signings from last summer. Mohamed Kudus is fantastic and I love watching him. Feyenoord, um, as it's been mentioned, also in serious form. Some impressive players for them as well this season. So Sebastian Szymanski, David Hanko, Jahan Batch is, is there right now. Uh, someone that, that, that listeners might be familiar with. Um, but I do think Ajax will have the muscle mem- memory. I, I watched quite a bit of PSV Eindhoven in the first half of the season. They, they had Rangers and Champions League qualifying. I, I wasn't overly impressed with them. Gakpo was their main man obviously he then left in, in in January so that's left a bit of a hole I also watched them against Sevilla in the Europa League a couple of weeks ago and they collapsed uh, in the second leg or I can't remember, actually was it the other way around anyway they won one leg 2-0 and then lost the other one 3-0 I can't remember which way around it was but you can see the weaknesses in just their kind of mental and de- defensive resolve um, Sevilla not really that impressive this season so I would kind of discount PSV 
despite Mihalovic and Georgie, I, I, I would um, discount Alkmaar as well. So it seems like, to me, it seems like a straight fight between Feyenoord and Ajax. All righty, Robert, thank you very much for that question. Uh, we're going to take a quick break now. When we come back, we have a trio of USMNT questions, including one involving aliens, which we trailed earlier. Back shortly. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Shopify, who would like to remind you that not everyone can be Erling Holland or Harry Kane. I would say only Erling Holland and Harry Kane can be Erling Holland and Harry Kane. But more to the point... Not everyone can score the number of goals that those two score. Not everyone can set the goal-scoring record. Sometimes you've got to be the teammate. Sometimes you've got to be the assists uh, person. You've got to be Kieran Trippier or Kevin DeBarna. You've got to spread the ball around. You've got to help facilitate that attacking play and those goals to help get the results you want. Because you need that perfect teammate. And when you need a perfect teammate when it comes to growing your business, Shopify has you covered. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. That feels like a good stage to be at. Shopify is there to help you grow along the way. How do they do that? Well, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. You can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So you don't have somebody kind of following you around the online store just saying, can I help you, can I help you, can I help you? Nobody needs that in real life or online, but Shopify's AI gets the job done. And that is a very unique aspect of Shopify that no matter how big your business is, and that's something I really appreciate, you can be a a podcast just starting up, a podcast that's been here for a while, or a business that actually makes money. Either way, uh, Shopify is going to help you because that's what they are all about. Sign up for just $1 per month uh, trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Uh, One more time, go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash TSS. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Kevin Tolley has been in touch, who says, I was wondering about the USMNT almost could have been somethings. Or as USMNT Twitter inevitably once called them, the saviour of the soccers. Huh. Uh, how are these guys doing, specifically the ones in Europe, guys like uh, Richie Ledesma, Alex Mendes, Sebastian Soto, Gideon Zalalem, etc. and so on? I'm not even sure if all of them are still playing, says Kevin. Joe, are you sure? I am sure. So as far as I can tell, all but one are currently playing right now. One is a free agent. I'll run through the list, and then I don't know if Taylor has extra thoughts or Grandma's extra thoughts or other players or wants to reminisce on the good old days on big soccer. But uh, Richie Ledesma is 22, still at PSV. He's on the bench for them regularly, most recently appeared on the field on January 6th for young PSV. There were reports that he was maybe headed to NYCFC which I think would be a good move for him, seeing as how he's he's not really playing at PSV. He's been injury-prone, and it seems like there have been a lot of issues there. Maybe it's still a little too early, and maybe he's trying to make it 
and make some sort of impression over the rest of this season before making a move sometime in the summer. But he is at PSV and is probably of these players, I think the most likely still to really like become a high-profile player during the course of his career. Other ones on this list that Kevin mentions, Alex Mendez getting regular minutes off the bench for Vizela in the Portuguese top flight. So not an elite level for him, but he is still playing a, a role for a team in Portugal's top division. Sebastian Soto playing for the best-named club that I've heard in a long time, Austria Klagenfurt in the Austrian Bundesliga. I had no idea that One this had time, happened. Jay? What was that? Austria Klagenfurt. It's so nice. good, guys. It's so good. They're Big in seventh guy. place in the Austrian Bundesliga right now. He's had a wild ride, was in Scotland for a bit with Livingston, was at Norwich, and just seemingly has never been able to settle in any one particular place. Who knows if this one's going to be that place or not. Jonathan Amon, Kevin mentions, who I love. Like, I still love Jonathan Amon. I don't expect Grandma Ryan to have ever heard of him, but I no. remember distinctly <laughs> him getting a cap against Peru sometime in 2019 or 2020, whenever the heck that was. Maybe it was earlier, but him and Josh Sargent started. I think Amon was on the left. Sargent was up top. I just remember that that game in, in parts of it so vividly, but he is a free agent. He left Norgeland in Denmark. In January. So 23 years old, has dealt with a bunch of injuries and just really hadn't played much at all, or at least consistently for years. I, I definitely have concerns about him and I, I hope he does well. But um, at, at the moment, I think the lightning smile is the best thing that I, I will remember about his game in recent memory. And then Gideon Zalalem, 26. I can't decide if I thought he was way older or way younger than that, Gideon Zalalem. But either way, had his option declined by NYCFC after last season, is now playing for FC Den Bosch. 18th in the in the second division in the Netherlands. I believe they just lost a game 13 to 0 the other yes, day. And uh yeah, so that happened. Hey, but uh, he had high marks. He had high marks, so it's okay. According it's according Don't to FAMOB. So I yeah. yeah, we're not we're not talking about that. But um yeah, that's that's my research on those five. So Kevin, they're still floating around. All of them are playing except for Jonathan Amen, who is the one that I love the most of all of them, which makes me sad. Taylor, what else do you have Amen. on this one? Uh, pretty much the exact same information that you did with the exception that I would just say like I like this question because it's why we sort of started the scouting network way back when was to keep an eye on all of these many many young players to see will they break through will they not Uh, and and I think oftentimes it's the case that they if they do break through they don't always continue that trajectory and sometimes they fall off and sometimes they fall off entirely and and that's where I think it's good to have enthusiasm about players it's good to be hyped about players and to see what comes next Uh, I've certainly had that with a few players in MLS this season but I think at the same time sometimes we fall into this player is going to make the difference they're going to be awesome myself I think when I first came across Mendez and Ledesma it's like wow they're playing for these academies of this huge teams which have a, a proven track record of bringing through young players and putting them into the senior team and it's all just going to be sort of factory stamped from here they're going to be like starting in the Champions League in a couple of years and that's just not the way it always goes and I think that's the thing that I've had to learn and I'm still learning that you can have that enthusiasm about these players. You can have this hype for these players. But they are still humans, and they are still individuals, and they're going to have bad performances, and they're going to have good performances. And you have to be able to sort of evaluate them and see those issues and see why it might not be working, not just because you want to know like if they're playing poorly, but because you want to see how they improve or what they're working on or what they need to work on and how they might fit into a system. Uh, it's something that's taken me a really long time and I continue to learn. I learn from Graham and Joe and Ryan almost weekly uh, or almost daily, if not uh, just about like, oh, that doesn't work. This doesn't work. Okay. You need these two to go together to make this one work. And there's just so many moving parts and pieces that I think we're always going to have players 
that sort of had hype for a moment and then fell off. And I don't think that's a uniquely American thing. I think that happens with pretty much every club and every national team in the world. It certainly does. Uh, Two comprehensive answers there. Graham, any uh, additional info to add here? I don't think I can add any further insight on these players. Uh, A couple of them I hadn't heard of before. Uh, Sebastian Soto is a wild one for me because he was at Livingston last season. And he was genuinely about third or fourth, uh, third or fourth choice for a team in the bottom half of the Scottish Premiership. And whenever I saw him, I, um, to be quite frank, just wasn't impressed at all. Um, and that was kind of my first exposure to him. And so I was very confused when I was told there had been some uh, some significant hype around him. So I don't, Joe, he was the guy who's at Austria Klagenfurt, right? Is that, is yeah, that, Austria Klagenfurt, my new <laughs> favorite team. So you, you need to say it again. Thanks, yeah, I mean, Graham. maybe he's a better fit for them. I think Austria is a fairly, fairly comparable level to Scotland in, in general. So I'm not holding out uh, too much hope, to be honest. I don't believe he started or played this weekend for them in a 3-0 win. So maybe it's not that much better for him. Uh, a, a thing that I thought was interesting, though, with a lot of these names, it, it's like the I, there really is no standard way to do this, to go about being a professional footballer and to making it to the next level. Because some of these guys, Soto, where did Soto go in England? I always want so to say it was at Norwich. I always want to say Watford, but it's it's Norwich. Yeah, like that felt premature in that moment. It felt like that's too big of a move too quickly. He's not going to be a starter for them. He's going to be loaned out a whole bunch, and that's exactly how that went down. But then you have somebody like Richie Ledesma who stays at PSV, and that's the thing we like to see: is stay at PSV, work through the academy. Like, see what the deficiencies in your game are, work on them, get promoted to the first team, and then see what happens. He's done that, but he hasn't really gotten promoted to the first team. So sometimes staying at the academy doesn't work. Then there's Alex Mendez. Staying at the academy isn't working for him with Ajax. So move to a kind of lower-tier Portugal team where you're going to play all the time and you're going to get tons of minutes, and eventually someone will see you unless you're playing 14 minutes or 12 minutes or 11 minutes, and then maybe they're not going to see you and maybe you're not going to break through. ZLM has uh, the time with Arsenal, but then he goes out on loan to a bunch of different clubs. Jonathan Amon stays in Scandinavia and plays for Norgeland, but is now a free agent, as Joe said. And you just see different paths here of academies, of big clubs, of moving to medium clubs, of going out on loan, of staying in smaller leagues. And none of them have really worked that well. I wouldn't say any of them are like failures necessarily. And so I think it just means that it's really, really hard to make it to that highest level. I think sometimes I forget that and think, oh, you know, if you play for the right team and have the right moment, but that is the big thing is having the right moment and that hype has to stay there. There has to be that continued interest in you. And if you move to a second division Dutch team who aren't that good and people aren't really watching them, doesn't matter how good you are, you, you're you not going to get as many eyes on you. You're not going to get that much of an interest. And so I think it's just a good reminder of how hard it is to make it to that top level and then stay at that level for as long as some of the players that we yeah. talk about do. And and even when you do make, on the face of it, good career decisions, so I'm looking yep. at Gideon Zalalim, who was obviously a player there was huge hype around um, both on the American side of things, but also Arsenal on the Wenger's Arsenal fault. side of things. Arsenal fault. Arsene Wenger's fault, yeah, <laughs> or maybe Rangers fault for that for that uh, pretty disappointing loan both. spell. I'm nodding on but both. But then, I, but then I think even with the Rangers loan, the theory was 
you know, at Arsenal, clearly the talent was there. He'd been doing well in the youth teams. He was a German youth international. Let's send him to Scotland to basically, like, toughen him up, I think, was the was the theory there. Because he was, you know, quite slight, uh, quite, you know, quite a, a slight frame. That didn't really work. Then it was, okay, let's send him to the Netherlands to be a key player for, I think, VVV uh, Venlo were in the Eredivisie at that time. That didn't really work. Then he's off to MLS didn't really work in MLS either. It just no nowhere has it really worked for Zalelem, even though you could make a good argument for each of those moves being the right career decision. It's also hilarious that if any of these players showed up in a five-a-side game, like they would be... It, I mean, we talked about this before. Graham, I think you and I, maybe Ryan, you and I have talked about this as well. Like they would just be so far and away the best player on the field. Like Zalalem would be the best passer that any of us has ever seen with our eyes like that close to us. And, you know, still couldn't even really, like, hang in USL with Swill Park Rangers before, you know, having a little bit of a longer journey in, in U.S. soccer. So it's crazy that this stuff happens. You need a lot of things to go your way in addition to being ridiculously talented and working ridiculously hard. It's it's tough to do this stuff. And these players clearly all had talent in the youth system. Sebastian Soto, I thought, was not a, not a flashy youth prospect, but was a very good number nine prospect in the U.S. pool coming up through the U-20s. That was at a U-20 World Cup. I mean, a lot of these players represented the U.S. At, at youth levels and were very, very good. It's just darn hard to be an elite pro soccer player. Yeah. The, there was an interview given by a Rangers player recently, and I can't remember who it was. It might have been Alan McGregor, who would be the only player who was who was at Rangers when they were in the second tier in the championship. He was asked, like, who is the best, who is the best technician, the most skillful player you've ever played with at Rangers? And he said, in training, without a doubt, Gideon Zalalem. Like without a doubt, they never saw that on on the pitch. So that's another thing: is some players are just not able to put it together in a in a competitive environment. I think Zellalem was was definitely one of those. Yeah, that's why I didn't make it as well. To be fair, <laughs> um, sure. I'm I'm stuck in a Austria Klagenfurt wormhole now. I've been looking all yeah. into them. Uh, Sebastian yeah. Soto's club. Uh, they play at the Wörthersee Stadion. They're in the Alps, by the way, which is pretty cool. Uh, nice. Thirty-two thousand seater stadium looks very nice. Graham, they've got a very nice purple kit. Ooh. Well, they're very cool. They're, they're crested listeners, nice. listeners should have seen Graham perk up. Like his Ooh. posture straightened. His ear almost went towards <laughs> his mic, even though he has his AirPods in instead. He yeah. uh, he was very into that. Yes. Very good. Yeah. I'm a fan. You should be. You should be. I mean, founded in 1920. Nothing bad happened in that region in that kind of era. Let's move on, shall we, to uh, Richard <laughs> Rolson's question. Uh, Richard Rolson says, I have recently seen references to Maurice Malone with regards to the Where? USMNT. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Is he eligible to be called up for the next camp? Does his play warrant being called up? And why hasn't he been on the radar before? Presumably, Taylor, he is on a radar. I would assume so. Uh, <laughs> uh, not mine. Uh, that He was one that I did not know much about and, or anything about until we got this question. He's a 22-year-old left-footed center forward on loan at Wolfsburger. Not Wolfsburg. Wolfsburger in the Austrian Bundesliga. An Lots inferior, an inferior yeah. Austria <laughs> club, to be clear. A Klagenfurt crappy, second-rate Austrian club. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is good stuff, Joe. Uh, he's on loan from Augsburg. Uh, top scorer in the U-17 Bundesliga as a 16-year-old. Third straight season out on loan. Um, and it does sort of go from the German third division 
uh, to the second division with Heidenheim last season. Uh, now he's in Austria. Maybe eventually he gets some time with Augsburg. He has not yet gotten any. As to why we haven't heard more about him, I think there are two reasons. Number one, last season at Hoffenheim or at Heidenheim, excuse me, did not go well. Only two goals, no assists. He played roughly 700 minutes. I think he only got six starts in that entire time. Uh, never played a full 90. So to what we were talking about earlier not getting a ton of consistent reps, not getting a ton of consistent minutes. So he wasn't able to score the goals that you would need to kind of kick on to that next level. And also, he has already played for Germany at the U-17 Euros, the U-17 World Cup, which I believe means he would need to, uh, to file a one-time switch to be able to represent the United States in uh, like meaningful competitions. Uh, so I think he can go into camp. I think maybe he can play friendlies. I forget how that works exactly. Uh, but I think there's already a strong connection to Germany, to German youth national teams. I doubt he's making the senior team anytime soon, given that he's playing in Austria and in lower divisions in Germany. But that's what I could find for you on um, Maurice Malone and why <laughs> he is less likely to be in the national team anytime soon. Yeah, he's got he's sure got an elite name. He's got an elite name to this add that true. to everything. That I mean, he's, he, the club is is lacking in Austria right now, but the name is incredibly strong. I feel like that's almost enough reason to get him in the team All at some point. But I, they're just, I mean, we got clubs, good names on the show. If, yeah. if there are good names, I'm going to bring him up. Sorry, Grandma, do you think he's Mo? Do you think he's Mo Malone? M&M. No, I think oh, he's I, I think so. he's Marie. No, I think he's Maurice Malone every single time, no matter what. Is what I think. <laughs> Joe's really into this name. He's also got the same name as a, as a denim designer. That uh, when you yeah, Google Maurice Malone, that's who comes up. Yep. Uh, apparently, he's the Steve Jobs of denim. So his jeans must be uh, overpriced and popular with Ryan Bailey. Yep. I couldn't find much about uh, Maurice Malone. Uh, I could find loads of the denim designer, not really the player. Um, his sofa score page could do with some padding out because it said he has no outstanding strengths and his ball control is a weakness. So <laughs> that's a good sign. But yeah, I couldn't find uh, I couldn't find all that much Retro. about there... him. I could find a, a clip with him kind of linking up with Pepe as a, as a front two. So maybe there's a relationship there of some sort. But considering the fact that uh, Pepe's not really in the picture at the moment either, not sure how much to read into that. So, so weakness for ball control, but presumably the column that said name was like a hundred. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Uh, anyone have any more to add on Maurice Malone, Double M just, himself? Just that it's it's good that at this point, U.S. soccer and, and the U.S. men's national team, the women's national team, has been beyond this for years. It's good that you know we don't have to. Really like bring players like Maurice Malone into the spotlight all the time because the talent pool has moved beyond that, right? I think a lot of the searching and hunting for dual nationals, not that US soccer still shouldn't be doing that, they very much should. And there are players out there that can help the US team like today if they actually are interested in playing for for the USMNT. So people should continue to look. But for a player like this who has just never really proven, has never played a single minute in a first division outside of Austria at the pro level, uh, it just we don't have to to dig that deep anymore. Wonderful stuff. That was a question about Maurice Malone from Richard Rolson. And keeping the alliteration theme going, Joey Jadlowski has our final question for today. Here we go. Strap in, everybody. Joey says, I asked a similar question about four or five years ago. I'm curious how the answers might have changed. Here goes. There's a new, huge, gaping power vacuum in U.S. soccer, and aliens have come from another planet to hold it hostage. Mm. They're requiring you to coach the USMNT in a must-win game or the fate of U.S. soccer, and maybe the very planet itself will be in their hands or tentacles. 
Who is your starting eleven, and what system do you play?、Uh, Joey notes that the last time we played this,、um, the the game that was used was away in Kuva, and since that was fresh on the brain at that point. But can you theorise the opponent? It can be whoever you want in this instance, away in Concacaf, neutral ground against the Netherlands, whatever you fancy. And you assume that the aliens have granted health to the current US pool, but the pool is frozen, meaning you can't get uncommitted dual nationals. You can't get.、Um, Morris Malone to come in or any of that jazz. Who wants to kick off? Put your hands up. Anybody? Taylor. I got it. Oh, Joe. Joe wants. I'm in. I'm in. Maybe Taylor put his hand up, but his screen froze for me, so I couldn't tell. So I put my. <laughs> Taylor did、instead. not put his hand up. <laughs> Boom. There it is. All right. So my lineup is gonna be pretty cut and dry. It's a lot of what we saw at the World Cup, plus I think one player, and then one player who we didn't see at the World Cup, but I think everybody wishes we did. So I've got Matt Turner. In goal, I'm playing a four-three-three shape, by the way, because that's what this team knows, and I think can can play at a high level. I'm not sure it's the absolute best shape, but I don't think we're having a lot of time to train against this alien eleven or, or whatever this is that we're that we're doing here. So, I've got Turner in goal. I've got Dest at right back. I've got Jedi Robinson at left back. I've got Chris Richards, who was not at the World Cup with an injury. I've got Chris Richards next to Tim Ream. Richards hasn't really been playing recently for Crystal Palace, but I think he is still. Noticeably better than even someone like Walker Zimmerman, who is the other one I was thinking of for this spot. So I've got Richards and Reem in the middle of my four-man backline. Tyler Adams at the six, Yunus Musa at the eight, Weston McKenney at the other eight. Gio Reyna, who is the other player I referenced earlier that we didn't really get to see much of at the World Cup. I've got Gio Reyna on the right, Christian Pulisic on the left, and Josh Sargent up top as the number nine. I wish it was Falloran Balogun, but、uh, Joey is is fair and strict with his rules. That is my starting eleven. All right. Uh, that sounds pretty strong to me, Graham. Where did you land on this one? And bear in mind, you can you can lay down your opponent as well. I don't think it has to be aliens. It can be well. That, just just to jump in on that, then I'm picking like the worst team on earth. Like, can I pick like a a Sunday League team? Because I think Joey, Joey had mentioned the Netherlands and his question. I'm definitely not picking the Netherlands. Like, if we got to win, I'm not I'm not picking Joe, a good here's, team. Here's what I did. I went with the aliens have come down there slightly lazy, despite having、uh, like interstellar travel,、uh, and so they just checked. <laughs> The the Fat Mob page they saw that the last team that beat us was Serbia, so they're going to be playing as Serbia、uh, because that team has already been proven that they can beat the United States, even if it was in a January friendly.、Uh, that's my way of getting out of having to play the Dutch again. We're playing、yeah. Serbia, maybe their B team, since that's the one that beat us last time, albeit in a January camp. I, I would have picked Austria Klagenfurt myself, but here we are. Klagenfurt. Yeah. <laughs> Graham, how about you? So my team is uh, Turner and goals, uh, Dest, CCV, Reem, Robinson, Adams, McKenna, McKenny, Musa, and then、uh, the attack is where it gets really tricky.、Um, so I think I'm I'm not I don't know if I'm even fully on board my with my own team, but my attack is、uh, Tim Way on the right, Jesus Ferreira with Pfock as an option to bring off the bench or even to play as part of a front two.、Um, so I want him as him as an option on the bench, but not actually in the lineup. And then on the left,、uh, Giorena. I'm going full Red Bull, hard running, direct when getting the ball forward, using the pace of Wea. Getting McKenny forward at every opportunity, using CCV to send quick diagonals into Reina, and then switching my two winningers around as well all the time to try and create a bit of uncertainty. That is the team that can beat the aliens. Are we playing aliens? I'm unclear on whether it's aliens we're playing or an actual <laughs> they, team. They've come down, and、uh, rather than you know take our resources or take over the planet or do anything else, their one thing they want to do is stage a game with the USMNT. So which is understandable. Yeah, I do get that. Yeah, the way、yeah. Joey's plot of arrival. 
<laughs> very much. Yeah, I mean, much I would have so. gone Space Jam, but sure, Arrival works too. Uh, <laughs> I, I think also I like the way Joey phrased this question as it sounds like because there is a power vacuum in U.S. soccer, the aliens have arrived. Like they, they it's all Ernie US Stewart's soccer's... fault. It's yes, all exactly. Ernie Stewart's fault. <laughs> uh, so I, I have, I have, I had a very similar starting eleven. My one question, uh, which I would love Graham and Joe's opinion on, would be if the U.S. went with a back three because that is what Serbia is going to do most likely, and then they're going to have. Mitrovic and Vlaovic, so we know they're going to have uh, big tough guys uh, in, in the middle of the pitch winning stuff in the air. So if you wanted to negate that and give the U.S. like a solid defensive footing, I, I would go with a back three. Uh, I wasn't sure who my other center back would be, but it's probably Tim Ream, now that you all have mentioned it. I had uh, Ream, Zimmerman, and CCV. Uh, sorry, Joe, no Chris Richards in there. Uh, then I had Adams, McKinney, and Brendan Aronson as my midfield because Eunice Musa is slightly out of form. Brendan Aronson is, is playing, I think, somewhat more regularly. I had Jedi and Dest. In my back four, I had Joe Scally, but in this one, I will have Dest and Jedi. And then my, my main question is, who is that front two? And I don't have a good answer for you. Uh, I think I Wait. went with PFOC and Wea as a, as a combination. Sorry, I've, I have a question. Taylor, who were you leaving out for Joe Scally in your back four? In a, in a game that if you don't win, the fate of the earth is, is over. Dest. <laughs> okay. All right. I was just Joe, curious. when's the last time Sergio Dest played a game? I, don't, I honestly couldn't tell. It was sometime <laughs> in January. Is that what it was? That's, I don't know. I mean, it's been I, a while. I, I think the back three is a little tricky for me in some ways because of, you know, the questions around who that third center back is. And, and I think even the disagreement that we have among the three of us of who the second center back should be between Graham and I, I guess, of is it, is it CCB? Is it Richards? Richards isn't really playing either if we're using form as a, as a factor here. So the back three is just tough. I think that would be a good look for this U.S. team and maybe it would, would do well against Serbia. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, I realized like there were more questions in this process than I thought yep. there would be. Yeah. Like, the, it was the attack for me, not really the defense. I think a lot of the defensive stuff and the midfield stuff I feel really comfortable about. And Turner's a no-brainer at this point. But the attack is is difficult. Like, is Gio Reyna that guy out wide? Or is he better to play through the middle? And do you want to change the shape to accommodate that? Maybe the next coach is going to give that a whirl if Reyna's brought back into the fold. Christian Pulisic, I mean, if, if we're being real here, Christian Pulisic probably shouldn't be starting, given that he, he doesn't seem like he's fit to start for his club. And then the number nine is still like a, a concern. So it's uh it's tough, and I hope we're playing Serbia's B team. I'll put the, it that way. The three five two works works well conceptually, but then when you boil it down, you need extra centre backs and a, an extra forward, or an extra centre back and an extra forward. And like, what are the two areas of the squad that the USMNT maybe is weakest in? Uh, centre backs and centre forwards. But if it gets G- Jordan Peefock into the team, Taylor, sign me up. I'm on board. Uh, we have a centre back that's better better than Virgil Van Dijk. Thank you very much. As good as. Let's not get carried away here. Come on. <laughs> My mistake. I apologize. It's it's the other thing that's interesting about this question for me is I understand the premise of they're all fully fit and ready to play. Uh, like we've wiped all the injuries. It's still impossible for me to forget about form. And so looking at somebody like Dest or even Pulisic, who hasn't played in a very long time. Reyna obviously played in the Champions League this week, but hadn't been playing as much. But I think form is still one that's really hard for me to have to like forget about and just look at who are the best players. Uh, so I think for me, that's always going to get kind of rolled into the equation. I think, Taylor, I, that's, that's a fair thing to think about. I think we've seen throughout World Cup qualifying and throughout the last World Cup cycle in general and, and before as well, but that I mean that's fresher in my mind. I think we've seen examples of players not even being a real piece for their club and still coming in and shining with the national team. Like I think 
outside of injuries, which obviously is is a real consideration unless we can wipe them away in this context. You know, I think about Tim Weah, who's really still never been a key player for Lille, but was the U.S.'s best attacker through the majority of World Cup qualifying. Like, I am, I almost would go the other way on form and say, you know, what they're doing at club level, outside of being fit, almost doesn't matter. I'm not going to say that it fully doesn't matter, but I think the the percent that it actually makes a difference when it comes to the national team is just really really low. Like Chris Richards, in my mind, is just a better center back than, than Zimmerman. I'll go Zimmerman and not CCV. I think Chris Richards is just a more talented player and better at most things than Walker Zimmerman. Maybe not everything, but most things. And despite the fact that he's not playing and Walker Zimmerman is playing, I, I still think it is absolutely the right thing to do to get him in the lineup. That's just one example. And maybe that's not like an ironclad rule for everyone, but I, I do think we really have seen that form isn't as big of a deal at club level translating to the international game as, as maybe it feels like it should be. I, I, I kind of agree with that, Joe. And I'd say form is less important in this instance than patriotism. Bear with me on this one. <laughs> if you watch uh, the movies, if you watch Independence Day, it's always America that saves the world. It's no one else. It's always America that does it. So in this team, where it's the Americans who are saving the fate of the planet, you need the most patriotic players possible. You need someone with, say, an eagle tattoo, a Christian Pulisic, for example. Let's bring back Breck Shea. He looks like he would enjoy a Stars and Stripes shirt at a barbecue as well. We know, we know he has machine guns if things take yeah. a turn. Exactly, exactly. So that's the kind of that's the actual kind of players you need in this team, the ones who will... Who will be patriotic, the, the most ones, patriotic. The ones that will literally punch an alien. Yeah. Welcome to Earth. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> What's the line again? <laughs> Something like that. I mean, it's the that. Ones... It's Weston McKinney, right? Like, I'm trying to think of who I'm, I assume would just be up for punching an alien in the yeah. face if it were It's Weston McKinney. It's Weston He's the guy McKinney. I'm sending out, like, first in this team, like, <laughs> yeah. like to, just to make contact, right? It's Weston. It's not any of these other guys. Weston McKinney's absolutely the alien <laughs> and, contact man. And to, go, and to go to Ryan's point, if we're going the arrival route, uh, where, where if you haven't seen that one, uh, my very bad summary from a, from seeing it a long time ago is like trying to figure out how to communicate with uh, a, like a, f- a foreign life form that we don't know anything about without communicating like anger or hostility. Yeah, so send Weston McKinney out there and he'll just be like uh, playful enough but serious <laughs> enough that I think they they know they can't mess with him. But also he seems nice enough. Maybe that is the first step, Joe. I, I like I, I'm picturing now, Taylor. Um... Weston McKinney in the, that Amy Adams role, going towards the aliens, like holding some ranch dip and a, and yeah. a pizza slice, <laughs> slowly and gingerly going towards them. This is my way of telling you what we're about. Have you guys seen um, Harry Potter or what? Like, should we just call this game <laughs> off and go do a marathon? Like, let's do this thing. Weston McKinney trying to figure out if they are from the Harry Potter universe would be pretty <laughs> yeah. good for me. Exactly. Doing a spell to see if it will uh, fix the situation. Very good. Uh, Joey, thank you very much for that question. Thank you to everybody who submitted questions in this episode. TotalSoccerShow.com slash questions if you would like to do the same. But for now, Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much. Good job, pal. Thank you, my friend. Good job to you. I felt like I was like patting a dog on the head when I said that. Sorry, I didn't mean to be patronizing. I mean, I think it's only patronizing when you bring it back to point out how you were patronizing, but that's fine. <laughs> Graham Rutherford, thanks. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. <laughs> Joe Lowry, pleasure as always, sir. Right back at you. And listener, thank you the mostest because you are the importantest person in our lives. We'll be back in the feed very shortly with another one. But for now, bye.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.